Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 52, Flarsky, from 2019. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi, but Joey, are you sure it's called Flarsky? Wait, did I watch the wrong movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> we joked for a while about how they were, how she was coming out with a movie called Flarsky, and I was so excited because it's such a terrible, weird, not terrible, but a weird name for a movie. Very strange. And then they're like, just kidding, it's called Longshot now. And I was like, damn it, more marketable, I guess, in a few different ways. Like, it's a nice pun, it's a nice play on words. Instead, we, we lost Flarsky. In, in, the, in the midst of all of those changes, we lost Flarsky. <laughs> it's still the main character's name, which I was not expecting. It's his last So, yeah, name. when I was watching this, because this is the first time you saw this, right? I saw this in theaters, but you did not. You, no. you first saw it Wa- this week, I right? I watched it today, yeah. So when I was in the theaters watching this movie, supporting Charlize Theron like the fan that I am... Uh, <laughs> why don't you just twist the knife in my back? <laughs> his name is Fred Flarsky. I was like, wait, that's that's what the movie's called? Flarsky? Like, I guess it's about him. Like, I guess it's kind of his movie. Calling it Long Shot makes it more about her movie, but also him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's a better title, but I still miss the fact that it's called Flarsky. Flarsky, I wonder if there's any posters out there with that title on there that are collector's items. I will be on the lookout for you. So this is our first episode of Watch the Throne since our award show, the first movie we've done since Tully. I mean, this is wow. it's been a year just about since we last did a movie. She's been acting, obviously, in this. She's going to be in the new animated Adams Family movie coming out this year. There's news that she'll be in Fast and Furious 9, which I'm very excited about. I just realized, I was talking to Joe the other night because he was on our Fate of the Furious episode because he and I have a Fast and the Furious podcast. And I realized that when Fast 9 and if she's in Hobbs and Shaw 2 or Fast 10 or whatever she's in, we not only have to do it many, many, many times for Too Fast, Too Forever, but we have to do it on here too. So like, he's like, I'll be on that episode if you want. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like there's there's no way you're not going to be on the episode because like you're the Fast and Furious guy. You know what I mean? Like we, yeah. that's that's our thing. Yeah. We're not going to be like, oh yeah, me and Mike are going to talk about it. Like, you know, go fuck, go fuck you. off. Like, no, yeah, he's the, he's the Watch the Throne too fast, too forever. Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, Charlize consultant. So he needs to be yes. here for that. And He's the cipher con- resident cipher historian. I was looking forward to the Adams family, but then I saw a couple snippets, and not that it's bad. It just looks geared much more towards children. And yeah. I'm like, with this cast, they should have done this live action again yep. because her and Oscar Isaac's would be perfect live action role so kind of bummed about that but looking forward to it at the same time yeah i saw a trailer for it between before one of the movies that i saw this week and i just was like i feel like it's not the kind of trailer that's going to spoil things for me and you know she sounds good but again she would look great as a live action morticia oscar isaac would look great as a live action don't know his name Gomez. what's his name <laughs> i appreciate the what the movie can do in terms of you know like an animated cousin it and the hand and everything like that and, like it looks great but I agree that I'd rather have a live-action thing, especially given how far CGI has come, that you could do that stuff probably in a live-action movie anyway. Yeah, you could even still have, like, Chloe Grace Moretz play Wednesday in live-action, but sort of de-age her or sort of do yeah. stuff digitally to the characters and, like, you know, some whoever's playing Pugsley, you know, fatten him up and stuff. So. Oh, well, whatever. Oh, but well. here we are to talk about Long Shot, the 2019 rom-com of the two... I'm going to save my idea for a sec, or my, my opinion for a second. Okay. We also did this summer, Always Be My Maybe, over on Keanu Club, the other sort of major rom-com this year. Mm-hmm. Not Keanu in the love lead there. It's Randall Park and Ali Wong. Yeah. But 
here we are, another rom-com new movie for one of our main podcast people. Which of these two did you like more? Did you like this one more, or do you like Always Be My Baby more? I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah? Uh, yeah, and it's not that I didn't like Always Be My Maybe. By the way, Randall Park doing his little cameo in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. little connection there. Uh, it's not that I didn't like that. I just, there's something, maybe it's just the level of acting and the writing, or that I'm just more into Charlize and Seth Rogen, or whatever it may be, or I, I kind of, in the, the political bent on this was a little more sort of fresh for me, I guess, as well, because it, you know, gets into a lot of politics and stuff. That one, there's nothing wrong with Always Be My Maybe whatsoever. I think it's like totally enjoyable and totally fine, and Keanu's terrific in those moments. I just really enjoyed this movie. It kind of turned my mood around. Uh, I was laughing a lot, and I thought it was uh, really good. Yeah, I think this is a really fun movie. I think one of the knocks that I saw on Letterboxd that I didn't immediately agree with, and I think I sort of softened on, a lot of this can be kind of forgettable, but I think that's also fine. Like, I don't know that a really a rom-com needs to be ultra-memorable. Yeah. And I think that this is fun once they get together, and sort of the second act of the movie, and especially through the drug trip, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it's just, it's Charlize in a silly way that we haven't really seen her much. I like that she plays the Secretary of State. I like that she has this, like, dignified position. I like in the very, very end, spoiler, she becomes President of the United States. Like, I like a lot about this movie. I don't remember, like, I'm not going to remember a lot about this as time goes on, but I know this is a movie that I enjoy, and especially since we don't have a lot of rom-coms, and knowing that I sort of discovered my love of rom-coms through Cage Club, Mm -hmm. kind of, and sort of especially loving rom-com Cage, you know, this is kind of movie that I would put on maybe a couple, like, once or twice a year and just sit back and enjoy, especially given my recent bend toward Julia Roberts oh, yes. and watching Pretty Woman, the the song must have been love that is so iconic love. <laughs> in that movie that is used here twice. And it's just wonderful. And now in comparison to that movie, I think that one is obviously going to, people aren't going to be talking about this movie in 30 years. Like people aren't going to be including iTunes cover art from <laughs> long shot in a movie made in 2015. They're not going to be talking about Andy Serkis's makeup performance. No, I do not think so. <laughs> oh my God. Like, Pretty Woman is going to stand the test of time, obviously, mm-hmm. but I think that this movie is in a way better because both leads are likable. Like mm-hmm. Richard Gere's character in that one, in that movie, and this is not a podcast about Pretty Woman, but his character is so gross and sketchy and sort of like championing Republican ideals, which I guess Little Ice Cube does in this one too. But it's just like, it's hard to root sometimes for Richard Gere, especially in the more woke culture that we're in now. But I feel like for both of their flaws and their faults, both Flarsky and Charlotte in this movie are both likable. And it's just fun. It's just like, it's a breezy good time for the most part. Yeah, I think this is a really solid modern take on relationships and all that kind of like I, I really buy these two as well. Like I think they're they've got good chemistry. I like Charlize as Secretary of State. Like she's definitely owning that role. I like Seth Rogen as sort of I mean, I wouldn't say he's less of a stoner in this, but he's definitely more of like a responsible person, right? With like ideals and stuff and like, ha- you know, has like opinions that he's trying to stick to with his reporting and and everything i think all that works what kind of like just tipped it for me sometimes was like the tone was a little off but then i just realized they're trying you know this is sort of like a 40 year old date movie for like couples or you know even wed couples and so they're trying to you know obviously go for everybody here and so i excuse that and it's also just a very rom-com sort of thing as well that i that i accept and everything and and there's not as much as that as i was thinking they were going to go to like they just sort of sprinkle that stuff in so i don't mind when it goes like full rom-com and i don't know man i just like was laughing the whole time and like it gets really like 
crass and filthy without being like nasty or mean and stuff you know what i mean yeah. it's able to sort of tote this line that's very delicate especially like this day and age and bringing up issues with like pretty woman and stuff and yeah this might not last forever but in the moment like i'm definitely feeling it i'm definitely liking it i'm having a good time it's a very good watch i'd say that's one issue maybe it's a little long right like it's two hours and like 10 minutes or something and i'd say you could probably just trim things here and there you might not need the uh scars guard uh cameo even though you know i think you need him because i think it i feel like he's needed for a couple reasons i think that number one you need to have someone that like the public wants to see with charlie's like i think it sets up me early in the movie when she's like I'm running for president they do that focus group led by Lisa Kudrow and she's saying you know if you were with this guy like people would like you even more like I think you need something there maybe you don't need as much of him as there is but I think you need that and I also think as the movie goes on I think there needs to be some kind of balance maybe not but I think there needs to be some kind of balance between will Flarsky get the girl not only just because the the, the public wouldn't like it but like there has to be I think another actual tangible threat yeah. like I agree with that it has to be shorter but I think I think that is sort of to the story they're telling kind of essential maybe there wasn't enough of it for the running time is my issue now then because what I was sort of lacking too is that they basically meet cute and like kind of fall for each other immediately and I might have liked something more where there was like you know some time there where they grew to like each other again as opposed to be like oh this is a friend of mine from back in high school I'm gonna give him a job help him out get him back on his feet all this kind and then over the course of time like they grow to love each other but it just kind of seems like they want to jump into bed immediately and that's okay and everything but I just feel like maybe the lack of a foil like not having Skarsgård there as much didn't make that as believable or something I don't know. There was just a little bit of like more time maybe needed before they did it, but like it's still good. I think in the movie, the relationship between Flarsky and Charlotte, the timeline makes sense. Like, I think what you want to see is there. I just don't think that they show it on screen. Like, I think that there's mm. enough time between him writing the script and then him actually getting in bed with her. I think there's enough time there. I think that it's just super compressed. And I agree that sort of could be or should be fleshed out more. But again, I don't know what you cut out. Like, I don't, I can't describe how or why this movie is two hours long. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel two hours long, but it also feels two hours long. I know. Like, if this was, like, an hour 40, I think I would watch it... I'd watch it a couple times a year, because I think that there's so much fun to be had here, especially if you kind of condense it. I don't know how you do that, because I don't know what you cut out. Yeah, because there already is, like, the montage where they're going to, like, you know, all those different countries and stuff. So they're already condensing this a lot as it is. And I feel like, you know, when it's stretching or sitting, it's not that it's bad. It's just, like, it falls into sort of, I was getting kind of like a 40-year-old virgin type of rhythm to it, where maybe they started improv and it's actually, like, working and they, uh, you know, so scenes be became extended or expanded like we have Bob Odenkirk as the president here right yeah and that shit is gold right and and it seems like they just wanted him to come in and do his lines and then do whatever he wanted and like they went with that or something and it seems like there's multiple times where it's things are not planned like when Flarsky comes down I guess they're in Switzerland or something and he's wearing that ridiculous like outfit makes him look like the Prince Mm -hmm. of Candyland and Charlize has Captain Crunch's grinder date is what he calls himself (laughs) and Charlize is like the world's greatest spit take and starts like cracking up hysterically and I'm like well I wondered I really wondered if she even ever saw him before then you know in that outfit or whatever they surprised her to get that reaction so I can see like where it's sort of becomes longer but it's not like it's necessary stuff but i would kind of miss it because him and o'shea jackson jr right ice cube son 
they're great. I love yep. that guy. And and Charlize and June Diane, like she's great. Like everyone, it's like, I don't want to lose stuff, but it feels like things need to go somewhere. It doesn't feel poorly made or poorly paced or poorly constructed. I just think that in a time where it seems like every movie is two hours and most movies don't have to be two hours, that it should probably be shorter. But I think it works as is. I think ultimately it's like 2.05 and I think there's like eight minutes of very slow credit. So I think it actually technically clocks in under two, but it's still it's still kind of a lot of movie for relatively a simple story. I mean, maybe that's like the rom-com of it all is like, maybe they're all kind of like that. Like, I'm just not familiar. I know we're going to get there a bit with Hanks soon enough. Like, he does a couple rom-coms, so maybe that's just a staple of it. Maybe it's just, you know, go get your money's worth with these movies. Because I think you need, like, in terms of the beats, like, they need to meet cute in some way, and then they need to have the relationship, then they need to break apart, and they'll break up, and then they need to get back together. So, like, there's there's a lot of story there, and if you rush it, it doesn't feel authentic or genuine. Like, yeah. a lot of the movies that I watch, Julie Roberts movies I watched for July at Roberts, for my mini little binge, that I actually, I don't know if I told you, but I recorded just a special bonus episode of Not Her Again with Michael DeManico, oh, who's on a couple of our podcasts. He and I just talked about the five things that I watched. But I think, like, all those, I think Pretty Woman was two hours. I think Notting Hill is, like, two hours. I think My Best Friend's Wedding is close to two hours. Like, I think a lot of them are in that ballpark, and you know, I guess ultimately, if the movie's fun and the movie's good and you and you like it, which we both do, and I think mm-hmm. most people who watch this do, it's not the worst thing. But every movie should probably be shorter. Yeah, because like on in this one, I don't know about most rom coms, like, but in this one, on top of like what they have to do, there's also like the main B story of her like passing the bill and him writing her speeches, and you know what I'm saying? Like, there's all this other stuff that they want to get to yeah. as well. So it's stuff on top of which stuff I appreciate and... because it gives her legitimacy as Secretary of State. Like, she has a mission, right? Like, it's not just oh, she's Secretary of State and she's positioning herself for president. Like, she has a thing that she actually wants to do. Like, it gives her credibility. A way you could make this shorter is either make this purely his movie or purely her movie, right? And, and cut out mm. one of the other storylines. Yeah. And basically, like, they're just the object of affection one way or the other, right? But yeah. I think that by giving each character wants and desires and things that they're actually going after, both professionally and personally and all that, it makes both characters more fully fleshed out. And I think maybe the movie does that a little bit too much with other characters, like June Diane and Ravi Patel, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're a little too fleshed out, but again, I like them. And I like Mm -hmm. going back to the Fox News-esque Wembley report, where it's Kurt Braunohler and Paul Scheer and Claudio Daugherty, because I love all three of them, and just them like being the biggest assholes ever on TV. Like, I like that. And I don't mind spending three or five minutes of the movie with that. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, there's so much to like here I don't, I, again, I guess that's our point. Like, we don't know what to cut out. Yeah. And what's even more interesting for me was like, I really felt the payoff for both of these characters' turns is, you know, like Seth Rogen or Flarsky comes to realize he, his best friend tells him like, you know, you never think about anything from anyone else's point of view, all this, that, like you, you won't even give like Republicans a chance. He didn't realize like your best friend's down with the GOP, like all this kind of stuff. And, you know, like it really kind of makes his character realize, yeah, I have to like change if I want to be with her. And she also has the same sort of realization, like they rub off on each other. And I, and I felt that and it was, and it worked. And so maybe the length, you know, had something to do with that, you know? maybe you just sit with these characters longer and that's the point get used to them and so you want to see them together and luckily mm-hmm. their chemistry is working and yeah. i loved her at the end when she was like you know if i could see myself as a kid if i could see myself now i'd be disappointed and all this right. stuff and it was like the moment in the kitchen came back it's, it's set up right it. right like you yeah. see her as a kid yeah. and then the whole the reason they bond 
like the, the a lot of the fun and games before they actually get together, like them getting to know each other, is him like I you know I was so disappointed in you like because I can't believe that some like the girl that I knew from high school would never drop the trees you know like she would fight for this she would care for this and then like they the, the way that they bond is basically remembering high school and talking about her favorite movies and her favorite songs and her favorite books and all that mm-hmm. and you sort of get a sense of who she was even though we only see her as sixteen year old Charlotte once for like three minutes maybe you know who she was as a kid and you know how they were interacting as a kid and i think that in the end like you're saying when she references you know young me would be so disappointed it rings true because you know that's the case i mean that was really nice i uh, i don't get that kind of resolution satisfaction from a lot of movies i feel so maybe i should be watching more rom-coms because you know it's oh, like, absolutely it totally stuck the landing and like yeah. i really like that goes a super long way and and i do love how they set her up too as sort of being you know out of touch and not necessarily because she's not cool or anything but just because she's like super busy right so like she sort of clung to things so when she hears boys to men she gets super excited as excited as seth rogan gets to be invited to see boys to men and you know she mentions like nine on two and oh and they just they don't prey on the nostalgia either they just sort of dropped it here and there just to give you a sense of deeper sense of who she is like her personality or social sort of life and things and so it was nice just like the right amount yeah if people are listening to this, unless they listen to our three-hour episode 1000 podcast, which was released on this feed, uh, they might not know that you and I have two new podcasts, the Tom Hanks podcast and Tom Cruise podcast, every Friday alternating what we call the Tom Tom Club. And so changing things up a tiny little bit from how we did Watch the Throne, instead of just going through the entire movie, we pick out some moments, our favorite moments, our least favorite moments. I think we've been talking about a lot of them sort of in broad strokes here. Mike, well, if you had to pick one, what was your favorite? Because there's a couple things that I got in mind, but what's your mm-hmm. favorite moment? What's your favorite part about Longshot? Okay. It's definitely when they do Molly. I want to smoke a Molly with you. <laughs> He's like, uh, that's not how you do it. But, uh. yeah. but it's not just that part. It's when she has to save the hostages. Yes. That yep. part. That's incredible. Like, I know she won't be, but, like, that's the kind of performance I wish more people were nominated for. Not, like, an especially important movie, but you find these fucking moments like this that are just, like, to me, that was, like, Oscar-worthy. I fucking loved it when she, like, took out the cigarette and didn't take off the sunglasses and, like, sat in the corner and was, like, negotiating. Her victory hostage-saved, motherfucker. (laughs) Exactly. As on the fence as I am with the Golden Globes splitting drama from musical or comedy, I think that this is the kind of role that could or should get nominated or sort of recognized in musical or comedy in terms of where the academy votes and what they've deemed important or not like you're right like this is never going to sniff anything right like her Mm -hmm. other movie that she's coming out this year which is coincidentally or maybe not so much not so coincidentally about you know roger ailes and the whole fox news thing right like fair and balanced Mm -hmm. or whatever the movie's called that one she might that feels like more of an oscar baby where she might get nominated as megan kelly right like feels like if she's going to get award recognition in 2019 It'll be for that. It won't be for this. But I feel like this is going to be the more interesting sort of nuanced performance. I mean, I I don't want to talk ill of of a performance that we have not seen, but I just know that what this has been and what that movie is likely to be, she might be, quote unquote, acting in like the Academy Award dramatic sense more there. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of what you're saying, in terms of what's engaging with the kind of thing that we haven't really seen, this feels new and it feels exciting in her like stoned out of her mind and trying just to to handle like a legitimate crisis 
while smoking a cigarette, hiding in the corner, you know, basically whispering to some guy overseas. Like, it's wonderful. Yeah, I really feel like there's a lot in this movie of Charlize we haven't really seen before. Like, there's a whole other side of her here, and I wonder if that, you know, has something to do with she's hanging out with, like, Paul Shear and June Diane Rayfield now, and, you know, going on their podcast after, right? Made, yeah. yeah, because, mm-hmm. like, it seems like they must have all, like, hit it off, and, like, she just was able to be comfortable and, like, let it out, and they all play really well together, so I don't know. I felt like this was a whole different side of her uh, and stuff, like, she either hasn't gotten a chance to do something like that, maybe, or just that I never thought I'd see... Like her be so seem so carefree, loose and natural in this movie. Like just not even really feel like acting per se, just sort of yeah. being. You know, I think that that moment that you described that we've been talking about her high and trying to negotiate the downed helicopter pilot behind enemy lines. Like that's probably my favorite moment too. But I think there's two other things that kind of bring me sort of to the verge of rom com tears. Number one is when they go to their second gala, I think, and. You know, she's got to negotiate or talk to like 100 people or whatever. There's like 180 nations there. She's got three hours. He's like, hey, you know, if you want to get a drink or whatever, but like, I get you're busy. And then they kind of steal away to the back room and they mm. dance to Must Have Been Love. And like, that's just so cute and so sweet. And the way that it, like it zooms out, like that they're having a moment that even we're not privy to. Like, I love that. And then there's just something about the very end, like as sort of corny <laughs> and goofy as it is, where like she becomes president, he becomes the first mister. Shout out to, weird coincidence, weird timing, this week's episode of Real Bad, another podcast on the network, they covered Spawn. And I just think it's funny that like I, I completely forgot about the joke, but that he had his first mister portrait painted by, by Todd McFarlane, <laughs> yes. the, the author, the you know the artist behind Spawn. And like, it's just like this, like badass, like American flag, eagle flying over, like bare chested, tattooed or whatever like it's just crazy and over the top and just it's so cute and so sweet and then they slam cut into robin's dancing on my own which is like a perfect song and you know especially (laughs) from now and again shout out to another podcast on the network you know but like nico and chris over there just love robin and i really like robin because of them there's something about like the emotions of the movie like it's kind of the corny cheesy ending that you sort of assume is going to happen that Mm -hmm. 10 minutes in the movie she's like okay, I'm, I'm on my way to become president. You know, Bob Odenkirk, not seeking re-election, wants to do that tough, tough thing of going from TV to movies, a thing that only 10 people have done. He can only name two. Did not mention <laughs> our boy Tom Hanks, though. Tom Hanks went from TV to movies. Really? Also, there's sort of the in-joke here that Seth Rogen went from TV to movies. He started out with Freaks and Geeks, and now he's oh. in movies too, right? So That's right. So 10 minutes in, you're like, okay, she's going to become president because like the you know Odenkirk's not seeking re-election. He endorses her. Whatever's yeah. going to happen, like, it's not like there's going to be a rom-com, I don't think, with, like, a real bummer or downer of an ending. So, like, you know she's going to be president. You know they're probably going to get together. There's going to be a happy ending. And yet, in spite of all that, the way that it's cut together, the way it's edited, all that, it's just wonderful. And, like, the, the song especially, like, everything about the end is exactly what you think it's going to be, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is. It's really sweet. And it's not even like they're really leaning hard into, like, the, like, flipping the gender thing. I don't know. I don't feel like they're really pouring it on and saying, like, oh, now he's the first lady. It's like, no. Other, it's like, other than him taking her last name. Hi, my name is Fred Field. I took my took my well, wife's last name. Well, I mean, like, she is the president. But right. <laughs> I think why it, it ends up so sweet in the end like that is because they do that throughout the entire movie. Like, you know, they really know when to say um, what 
time they're making this movie in and they're not going too far in either direction to say like Charlize is indestructible she's not a Mary Sue or anything in this you know but then again like Seth Rogen isn't completely hapless and a total idiot stoner loser like everybody is sort of written as like a normal person to a degree and I don't know I I don't know they nailed it exactly but I appreciate like the effort involved in trying to sort of like level these people out more like that and not be so one-dimensional there is also a little bit of a reversal like you're saying they do it all movie long and I, I feel like it's probably pretty split but I think in the end you know when Charlotte's on screen saying that she's quitting she's she quits secretary of state to become or to, to run for president but then you know she admits that she loves Flarsky on tv and then Andy Serkis and we'll get back to Andy Serkis in a minute like flips out he's like put the masturbating video online like because the whole twist of this movie is that they hacked Seth Rogen's computer and found videos like they were web web chatting he and Charlie's, and he was, you know, masturbating and came on his face, and so they released that or whatever. Like, it's the dumbest. It's the dumbest and also the most, like, it makes the most sense in the world. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I like that there, what feels like traditionally the female role in both regards, but like, O'Shea Jackson Jr. just like, run to her, go get her. Like, but it just feels like that's generally, I know it's split, but it feels like generally it's like the woman running to the man, right? Like, it just feels like that sort of kind of is that. But here it's like, Flarsky, again, traditionally in a lot of ways here, not necessarily the masculine role or whatever, but I love that he's just like, I've got to go get her. Like, she's the one for me. And then he goes and gets her. And then, you know, she introduces him as her boyfriend. And it's just, it's cute. It's sweet. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about Andy Serkis. Let's talk about. Uh, uh, my least favorite part of the movie is it really? I think so. So hold on. Let me describe. There's a, there's a quote. The only the only really worthwhile trivia about this movie so far on IMDb is that this might change your tune because I don't think it necessarily makes it better, but it makes it weirder. After Andy Serkis accepted the role of Parker Wembley, mm-hmm. he developed a prosthetic makeup design for his character that required hours a day to execute, even though. No one asked I him to. I knew it. I knew it. I said to Andrea when we found out that it was a that it wasn't an old person, that it was Andy Circus, I said, I bet he showed up and was like, you know what? I'm tired of having dots on my face and wearing an orange sock or whatever. Like, I'm gonna make up myself and I'm gonna if they want it, they can use it, and if not, they can go to hell. So apparently when they were doing press junkets for this tour, like everybody, you know, the director, Charlie, Seth Rogen, everybody told the same story, like, yeah, he just did this. And so Seth Rogen said, we offered him the role, and then he was like, okay. And they started sending ideas for what he would look like. And we were like, what do you mean? I thought he kind of looked a lot like Andy Serkis. But he's like, yeah. no, I got this whole thing. We were like, whatever, man. And then he just shows up as this crazy over-the-top, like, old guy. It's like, oh. It's too much. It's a, it's a very... Also, keeping in mind, lot. knowing who I am and knowing what my, my weakness is in terms of identifying people, I had no idea that was Andy Serkis. Oh, like, I didn't care. I was just like, oh, it's just an old guy. Whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, he's acting sort of like a young guy in an old guy's body, but still. Yeah, like, I didn't know it was him until after the movie, but we're sitting there watching this thing going, like, what's wrong with this person? Like, there's something up with, like, he's not, like, either that's an old guy that they made up more or a young guy they did stuff like there was something off about that character and it just i couldn't and then on top of like just the terrible person the character was too it was even harder for me to pay attention i was just like oh my god and then i found out it was andy circus and like my head just like hit the floor and once you know it's him like it's impossible to not 
see him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, that's very clearly him. But still, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he did a thing. It's too much, dude. It's so much. I'm not saying it's not. I just think that the story behind it is bananas. <laughs> I can't believe it. I mean, I mean, I, of course I can believe it. I imagined it, and it actually turned out to be true and everything. But, like, that's the only way. Because I was saying, like, Andy Serkis is a great actor. You know, he looks totally normal without any of that stuff on. He would have been fine as like this you know 55 year old media conglomerate you didn't have to be like this rupert murdoch-esque kind of parody thing it's just the one thing because everyone else in the movie looks fine and no one's doing that and so it's just like when mike myers hosts the gong show you know in like that full makeup as like a in a british accent it's like what are you doing exactly (laughs) like no one else is playing dress up this hard but you know i don't know if this is actually my least favorite part but i'm going to continue railing against this after i originally when we saw this in logan lucky i was like i like it it's funny the more movies and shows that do it the more i'm like this has to stop Uh oh but my least favorite thing in this movie i think might be Charlize referencing, like, there's just a joke about Game of Thrones. Like, oh, I understand yeah. that everyone talks about Game of Thrones, and, like, that's not going away, and people, if they're watching this movie in 5 or 10 or 20 years, is going to, like, they're going to know what Game of Thrones, even if they don't mm-hmm. watch Game of Thrones, they know that it's a cultural phenomenon, right? One of the big complaints that Joe and I had that we talked about for a while on our Hobbs and Shaw spoiler episode is the kind of the recurring joke, the throwbacks, the callbacks, like, three or four times in Hobbs and Shaw to Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And here, I love what it sets up. Like, I like that she's so busy. As a girl, she grew up, you know, loving movies and TV. That they, It seems like that's what they bonded over, her and Seth Rogen. And then as she got older, as she became this, you know, dignified woman, this person with an actual job and responsibilities, she didn't have time for that anymore. And I love that she gets by, that she sort of seems, like, culturally relevant and with it by reading synopses. Like, I think that's super cool and super funny and super smart and probably honestly true the fact that they keep like another movie makes another game of thrones reference it's like get it like i Hmm. i just i I don't i don't need more of that i know it's a very minor nitpick and i'm probably blowing it out of proportion but like there's probably at least three that i can think of if not more movies that came out in the last like 18 months that like there's kind of like a pretty notable noteworthy joke about game of thrones there's a very quick one in high flying bird i think both you and tobin miss but like there's a quick like walter frey or something reference real quick oh yeah yeah yeah. who's that like game of thrones there's i don't know but yeah i hear what you're saying man like it's here to stay it's never going away like it's not it's not a big deal like again i don't want to make it seem like i this made me like the movie less because i think that in that scene in that same scene right like she oh immediately after that especially i can't believe that we didn't talk about this this much you especially given your history with brian late night rodriguez over on his show but she does an encino man impression that's, yes that's he's right he's a little juice and he's like you still have the worst Pauly Shore impression, but like just seeing, like I don't like Pauly Shore. I didn't know. I did watch that movie. I didn't enjoy that movie because I didn't grow up with that movie. But mm-hmm. like seeing her do it, like just feels so weird and wonderful. It seems like Charlize loves that, but also the character loves. Like it's just such a weird meta moment that I just adore. What I liked about that Game of Thrones thing is like what you said about it. Just the idea that she needed to read synopsis and stuff to talk at dinner parties and things like that. And like I just think that was just a nice you know notch on her character's best. Yeah, they kind of cheapen it a little bit, I guess, by going with the easy reference there. But I feel like they went with one or two other ones that weren't so well known. And obviously, I can't remember it now myself. So I also like that they that she realizes that she is in she is Encino Man, right? Like she's like, oh, I've been locked away. Like I I've been frozen in time, frozen in ice for thirty years. I know nothing. (laughs) I've been Encino Man. I also like her innocent like 
you know, she's like, my favorite songs must have been Love. And Seth, Seth Rogen says, or Flarsky says, my favorite song is Broccoli by Dram featuring Little Yachty. And she's like, I don't know what any of those things mean. Right. I think she said, like, that in, all those words are a song. <laughs> and then them talking, like, there's just like this getting to know you montage. And she's talking about, you know, oh. she, asks, she asks Seth, like, you know, what's your favorite sex position? And he says, front facing normal. And he's like, well, what's yours? She's like, don't be gross. And <laughs> Ravi asks June Diane, and he says, what's yours? And she says, it's too complicated to explain, which I just, I, I don't know what it is, but I just love that as an answer. I'm sure he's going to find out. Um, yeah. I remember now what I was trying to, uh, the modern day reference that I thought was kind of funny because I hadn't seen this yet in a movie was when he references the MCU. He's like, you haven't seen any of like, the Marvel Universe movies? And then there's a shot of them in Moscow watching the Winter Soldier. In Russian. And, in Russian. And he's like, you understand this? And she's like, I speak Russian. Uh, and, oh. he, and then she's like, oh, no. Oh, the pirate guy. <laughs> oh my god, they just shot the pirate guy, but he's keeping the team together. <laughs> I love that. It was the moment when, yeah, Nick Fury gets shot by Bucky. Oh, that was so good. So It's just like a sweet moment, but I wonder if that's not like a condemnation, but like a kind of a joke about like poor translations. Like if Nick Fury, instead of being Director Fury, is like Pirate Fury. You oh, know what I mean? Like that's he's got awesome. the patch. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like, oh no, I, I speak Russian, I understand this, but you well, know, if yeah. he's speaking Russian in the movie. It's like, uh, what did they call Spider-Man in Far From Home? when he was like in Italy he had like a mon- like he was like a shadow monkey or something like oh, that oh yeah 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 they had some other name for him it was like all mistranslated improperly mm-hmm. and stuff so we have a I mean we talked about it earlier we did not really make special special note of it but we have a young Charlize in this movie oh which yeah I think that both young Charlize and young Seth Rogen both were like they nailed those yeah they both looked like them like the girl was cute and composed and poised and he was just like doofy but likable and like they're both perfect related to that was that there's the PowerPoint that that June Diana is giving to Charlize later, and she's like, you know, what if um, Princess Diane Guy Fieri started a relationship, or Kate Middleton <laughs> and Danny DeVito, or Jennifer Lawrence and Spotato and the Teal Windbreaker? And Jennifer Lawrence played a young Charlize, sort of a spoiler, oh, yeah. right? But right. I just like that she was referenced in a movie where she played a young version of Charlize, and then we have another young version of Charlize. So I think that's uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you think they did that because she played young nah, Charlize? Or do you think I they were on people, set? Do you think yeah. they even realized that? No, nope. <laughs> I don't either. It's so sad. It's like when you what hear. Movie Burning Plane? Yeah, it was good too, right? Yeah. It's kind of sad. It's like when you hear Gwyneth Paltrow didn't know she was like in any of the Marvel movies. It's like, what? Or, or whatever. Like she met Sebastian Stan and he's like, three times. Like, like the first yeah. three times. Like, oh, who are you? It's like, we're keeping better track than they are. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, that's for sure. I like that they kind of empower her in a way that she, like, the movie is so non judgmental and then she's like, oh, yeah, I want you to turn me over and do me from behind and, like, slap me and choke me a little bit. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. that's what she wants. She knows what she wants. And just, like, it's, it, it's played so normally. And I like that. Like, it's just, she's, you know, a strong, independent woman who knows exactly what she wants. And if it's, you know, it catches Seth Rogen by surprise, catches Flarsky by surprise, you know, it's what gets her off. And I like that the movie plays that so normally. Like, not that that is, in the grand scheme of things, crazy at all. But I like that that is, I feel like, more aggressive of a depiction of sex than most movies or most women in Mm -hmm. movies are allowed to say. And mm-hmm. I feel like it is played so low key and normally. Seth Rogen, I think, is the kind of the voice of the audience, like, oh, like, well, I wasn't expecting to hear that. But I think that she plays it and they sort of go through with it in such a normal, nonchalant way that, you know, it's noteworthy. And, and she makes a, a nice comment afterwards. She's like, oh, like, I'm your boss and I tell you what to do all day. I shouldn't tell you what to do in bed. And she's like, do whatever you want and then turn me around, slap my ass, and kind of ch- <laughs> choke me a little bit, too. Yep. <laughs> it's cool. They're playing with it in a. In a in like a very light way and that's what I mean like they don't go dark ever really with this movie you know the most is when you like 
jerks off on his face and it's like in that is that like i was like is that even possible and what he's doing like what is he even doing like, oh boy <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's like it never really goes like it goes it goes more like cartoon if anything right like when he in the opening scene where he has to get the swastika and then he ends up jumping out the window. <laughs> like, that is Looney Tunes. I was just laughing at the swastika as, like, the journey throughout because he gets the little oh, guy yeah. running and it becomes the first Mr. Patch. Like, I like <laughs> the journey, like, the silliness of the journey of that, too. But, yeah, like, him jumping out the window. I held my phone. My phone's not broken. So, and then the Nazi upstairs is like, I trusted you, man. That's just, like, genuinely heartbroken <laughs> that, what was it, like, I Hate Jews 82 was such a, like, so betrayed them so badly. And then he takes that huge fall down like the other stairs at the gala oh, event yeah. you know cracker down so like there's a lot of those kinds of moments more out more than actual people getting hurt or anything like the darkest it gets is when they Odenkirk and Circus blackmail her right in the Oval Office and even that is only like one short scene so they're really trying to sort of stay away from those vibes and I also like that she sort of plays down like she doesn't give them any kind of power because she says on TV Parker Wembley and our dumb fuck president are doing some illegal shit and here's what it is and here's what's going to happen. They blackmail her, they manipulate her, but she's like, I don't care. Like, it's just like, it's going to come out, it's going to come out. I'm not going to live with this over my head. Here's what's happening. So, yeah, I like that. I wondered if they were sort of playing off of Black Klansman in the beginning of this. And that's a great movie, too. But I mean, you know, it's when, you know, there's a Jewish guy and a black guy yep. team up to infiltrate the Klan. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Long Shot? Uh, you know, I want I just want to give one more shout out to Paul Shear and Kurt Braunler and Claudia O'Doherty. Like all people I know sort of from the comedy bang bang adjacent world. Like mm-hmm. Claudia especially is so goddamn funny. And she's the one who at the end quits and throws the coffee mm-hmm. mug at Kurt's face just because she's like tired of getting sexually harassed on air on essentially Fox News. Like, I love that. Anything else, any other scenes or moments or characters you want to talk about before we uh, wrap up on Longshot? First and foremost, man, O'Shea Jackson Jr., terrific. He was in, the most I've seen him was, aside from NWA movie, Straight Outta Compton, but he was in that Aubrey Plaza movie where she was, like, stalking the Instagram girl that was... Oh, uh, God, Ingrid Goes West. Jesus Christ, that was, oh, boy. I love that movie, and he is great. And that's when I was sort of stood up and was like, I gotta take notice and follow this guy, and sort of like watch his movies the way I follow other actors and stuff. And you know, he got he got the real short changed in this summer's Godzilla. He just played like a soldier with no name, and that really bummed me out because I thought he was gonna be like a scientist or something like that. To see him here and to see him like just be boys with Seth Rogen and just them getting along and like. It's infectious. Like, I really felt like I was just hanging out with these guys. I really like them, and I, I just, you know, I look forward to seeing this guy. You know, I think he's going to have a really strong, long career. And it is it's a little freaky that how much he looks like his dad, Ice Cube, and everything. But, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Ice Cube's not, like, the worst actor either. So, like, maybe it just runs in the family in, on multiple levels. So I also do want to give him credit. I don't know if you've seen yet. I think if you had seen, you would have mentioned. But there's a movie that came out last year called Den of Thieves. Where no. it's oh god it's it's very long it's basically they they kind of remade Heat in a way like there's Gerard Butler and Pablo Schreiber vigilante cop kind of and bank robber O'Shea Jackson Jr. plays a very pivotal role in that movie and he's great in that movie and that's just like a badass bank robbery movie and like that yeah. definitely go see that I think it's on it's on Showtime or it's on one of the movie channels right now all the time okay. so if you get the movie channels it's either Showtime or HBO or Cinemax or whatever go check that out Den of Thieves just a really solid badass 
bank robbery movie where O'Shea Jackson Jr., Lil Cube, is great. Nice. The last thing I want to mention is I love how long Flarsky's in his windbreaker outfit, you know, because he just like he goes, you know, he just goes to work one day in it and then ends up getting fired or forced to quit. Then he goes to meet his friend and they end up going out all night and then he you know, the next morning they're like at the bodega and he gets hired and picked up and goes to Washington, D.C. And then he's like hired to write for Charlize and he's flown like halfway across the world. And he's still like hasn't had time to change or anything or anything like that. Uh, I just thought that was a, you know, like a realistic touch. Like I thought that was a really funny sort of thing that would happen if he just sort of got swept up. Like he just not have time to change his clothes. Uh, and that was good continuity. Similarly, while they're going from location to location and they have like their SUV where they have the drive and then have the three people and they're like oh well, he's just suddenly with us now like I don't know if you noticed there's one shot where he's sitting in the hatch like in the back and they open the trunk and he just gets out the back like he's a little kid in the back of a station no. wagon like he's not supposed to be there like they just don't have room for him so he's sitting in the back and like they're the actual secretary, sta- secretary of state like staffers are in the front with Charlize and he's just sitting in the back typing on his laptop getting out the rear of the vehicle like it's just like little things like that that feel real whether it's the fact that he doesn't have other clothes or that he's just there's physically not room for him when they travel like it's just it's it's funny you know all these things make up for those very few shortcomings that i found watching this movie you know i had a really good experience and a really nice watch this time so yeah so go check this out it's now out on blu-ray and vod and everywhere you get that i'm assuming probably in two or three months it'll be like on hbo every like all day every day or whatever <laughs> it, so. it seems like it'll be one of those movies right like yeah, it's just gonna hit yep. cable hard so go check it out uh everybody's good in it we will be back later this year or early next year to imagine for fair and balanced the fox news fictionalized or sort of dramatic reenactment or whatever you want to call it we'll be back probably early next year for adam's family and then we will be back middle of next year for Fast and Furious 9. Like, there's a lot, like, after sort awesome. of a year drought of mm-hmm. Charlize, we've got a lot more. Also, again, on my Hobbs and Shaw, like, go check out the Hobbs and Shaw episode of Too Fast, Too Forever. Just go mm-hmm. listen to that podcast. But I am convinced, I am dead set convinced that the voice in Hobbs and Shaw is Charlize. I think it's Cypher. Like, it just, mm-hmm. it's the only thing that makes sense to me. If that's okay. true, we got a whole lot more Charlize in the Hobbs and Shaw and the Fast and Furious universe. <laughs> So we will find out for sure. My fingers are crossed for Keanu, which would also... Well, he'll represent- be in there one way or the other, for sure. Because <laughs> I was also thinking, you know, your theory as you did the ride-along lap with us is that everyone sort of built up the Charlize, right? Like there was Braga, and then there was Shaw, and then there's Cypher above all of them. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, either... I feel like in terms of the time they have left, either she's top of the top, or she's like second in command. And I could obviously see... You know, if they want to add one more person above her, Keanu. Yeah, the two of them as like this crazy couple in the Fastiverse. Oh, I'd love it. They want to do a movie together. Why not make it be like, it's not the movie that people would expect. But, like, why not make it a Fast and Furious movie? Yeah. That seems yeah. perfect. And they can still, you know, get all atomic wick and everything. If yeah. They, right? Like, they could do all that stuff in the type of movie, too. Like, just because she's a crazy computer hacker doesn't mean she doesn't also know martial arts. Who knows? But for all things Watch the Throne, all 52 episodes of this show now, and every other podcast that we've mentioned, and the ones that we have not, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, watch at cageclub.me. Check out every Tuesday for now, mostly every other Tuesday, but every Tuesday for now, Too Fast, Too Forever. Every Thursday, Boy for Material. 
every Friday, the Tom Tom Club, and the third of the month, and maybe also bonus episodes, 17th of the month, third time's a charm. Go check out all those shows, constantly new episodes, 40 to 50 per month, at cageclub.me or wherever you get this fine podcast. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll be back sometime for some movie or something right here on Watch the Throne. It must have been-